Okay, hi everybody. Um, I'm part of um, a research team at uh, uh, DSCHA looking at the uh, role of um, cycling as, as part of London's built environment. Um, and um, just give you a quick introduction. DSCHA is an architecture firm. We um, we look at um, we obviously design buildings, but we also um, design public spaces, um, parks, landscapes, um, and we view the city as our clients. That's kind of the most important. Um, uh, driving force behind what we do, um, but research is a really important part of what we of what we do um, as part of a practice. Um, and uh, this is a scheme um, that we did a few years ago called Albertopolis, which just gives a brief introduction to how we got onto the cycling um, research. Um, so this is a scheme uh, looking at the public realm around um, the Royal Albert Hall and trying to understand. Um, through spatial, visual and kinetic studies how to improve that public realm. Um, so it's one of the things that we developed as a methodolo methodology in, in the practice where we look at um, movement and view studies looking from the point of view of um, uh, individuals moving through space, what, what drives them to, to, to take particular paths, um, understanding how landmarks um, are important in that, in that function. Um, and um, understanding how that helps people orientate themselves in the city. So I think we feel that movement is a critical part of the design of public spaces and buildings and understanding the city as a whole. Um, I'm part of a research team of four people who are hoping, um, given a two-year research fellowship by the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851 um, to look at uh, the design, the role of um, cycling in London's um, built environment and we're interested in cha challenging the narrative of speed um, for cycling in London and saying instead um, can we help improve London's public spaces with cycling infrastructure and actually make cycling in London a beautiful everyday journey, that's the title of our, of our research. Um, so London is not in the top 20 uh, of uh, world cycling cities according to the Copenhagen Eyes. Um, a ranking system um, and what we've done here is just had a look at it so it's interesting to understand why is London different so most of the top 20 cities um, around the world for cycling are, are quite small compact where they are larger Berlin and Paris they've got a completely different um, morphology of, of streets and, 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 and public spaces um, we know that London street patterns are actually quite um, complex um, and there's lots of different histories kind of mingling together to create those spaces um, so actually, the the London cycling strategy, I don't know if you can see that overlaid on the on the, the map, um, shows you kind of what what uh, TFL have decided to do, which is divide it into two um, two strategies. One, which is the cycle superhighways, which is shown in blue, uh, which are generally along the main roads and, and segregated, and then the quiet ways, which are uh, using residential back streets to kind of keep cyclists away from busier um, from busier places. One of the things about those quiet ways is that they tend to push cyclists to have to deal with pedestrians rather than with cyclists. And so that's kind of an interesting field of, of uh, study for us um, to understand how, what that relationship between pedestrians and cyclists is. Um, as part of this research, we're, we're about a third of the quarter to a third of the way into our two-year research fellowship, so we're really just getting going. Um, but we've been looking at particular case studies around... Um, around central London to help us understand um, what's happening. Um, and so we've looked at 
um, Summerstown, an area where cyclists are uh, moving through quite a residential quiet area, despite it being central London. Uh, the West End, Tottenham Court Road, where there's lots of different conflicting um, pulls on that, on that public space, big institutions, um, sort of high street nature of, of Tottenham Court Road and all the different um, mixed use elements around the West End. We've looked at Vauxhall, where, which is very much on the gyratory system in London and uh, where cyclists are having to sort of be part of that ring road condition. And, uh, and Bishopsgate, where cyclists are kind of um, slightly hemmed in by the large swathes of um, privatised um, public realm um, that is not accessible to them. It's pedestrianised, but it's not for cyclists. And so how, what happens when cyclists are kind of funnelled into these channels of very, very busy traffic? So we use those to help sort of start our research. Um, so we think that cycling in London can be looked at in two ways. There's, there's a lot talked about, about conflict in cycling. So conflict between um, cyclists and, and cars is a big thing and, and, and understanding that relationship is important. But actually the relationship between pedestrians and um, cyclists is, is, is in some ways more interesting because uh, we think that cyclists are um, sometimes they function as vehicles and are in conflict with pedestrians in that sense and sometimes they're in the same place as in the same sort of realm as pedestrians and they function as as an sort of wheeled pedestrian and they have to negotiate traffic in that way. So that's kind of the interesting condition of the cyclists, that they're, that they're different, uh, they can change and they're not the same. Um, the other thing about cyclists is that um, we're all multimodal and I think um, the introduction of the cycle hire scheme has meant that um, we're mo it's much easier now for anyone to become a cyclist so we don't all have to be lycra clad. We can actually um, pick up and drop off a bike you know, for just 10 minutes journey or you can just cycle it through a park and then get on a bus if you're not confident on a main road. So we need to understand that cyclists are not just people um, in, who flash by in Lycra anymore and that the, the relationship of how to deal with cyclists and getting onto public transport is, is, is really important. Um, so we're, we're asking the question, can cycling improve London's um, open spaces and um, this slide sort of demonstrates the two approaches that if you looked at um, cycling infrastructure in a binary way it would, it would be to say that um, you can either have segregation like the cycle superhighways or you can have this, this scheme that has come up a number of times before uh, today uh, Leonard Circus which is about a kind of shared space concept but actually um, we think that it's a bit more fluid than that and, and we need to go beyond these two alternatives that are actually quite divisive in the cycling um, and um, uh, public space kind of community. Um, and we, we, as a kind of um, interesting um, test for ourselves, was, uh, we looked at the, um, the, the street types matrix. We're quite interested in that idea of relationship between movement and place. Um, and I think that's, that's interesting for us because um, we could change those to journey and beauty, those terms, and that's, that's sort of what, what our, journey, our uh, research is about. But the idea that, these, that, that things shift, the relationship between place and, and movement function shift is, is important, and we're interested in understanding who cyclists are. So we've taken that um, road types matrix and we've tried to put different types of cyclists into that same matrix to say, are there characters out there for cyclists? Because if we can understand who cyclists are and why they do what they do, maybe we can help design public spaces that are better for um, cyclists. So we've looked at the, um, 
the lycra-clad warrior who's maybe more thinks that the, the movement function is much more important than the, the tourist on a Boris bike who's, who's interested primarily in place and movement is, is sort of almost incidental to, what, to their experience. And for us, this was just a, a, slight, a bit of a game, but just a way of kind of exploring um, who, who cycles and, and why. Um, we sort of took that a bit further as part of the London Festival of Architecture, ran a, a, a series of cycle uh, journeys um, where we got people to identify who they were as cyclists and what their experiences of the city was and just to document the journeys uh, as a group. So we tried to pair up different types of cyclists and got them to travel together through London to explain, to get a lycra-clad warrior to travel with a Boris bike tourist and, and help them discover um, a route through London and talk to each other about what that, what that experience was like. We've also um, taken our case study areas, I'm not going to bore you with loads of this, but we've also assessed each of our case study areas and looked at which cyclists use them the most. The way we identified these um, cyclist types was by um, what they wore, what type of bike they had, what speed they went through, um, through passed through space at, and so something like Vauxhall Bridge, which is part of that very much a segregated landscape. It was primarily, if you see the pie, the pie chart, um, primarily the, 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 the cyclist who's, for whom speed is the most important um, function. Whereas something like Bing Place in the West End is a much more much broader mix of different types of cyclists, and and that was interesting because I think we we um, I lost all my notes. Um, we we were interested in you know, what happens to places when you get a different mix of types of cyclists. So Bing Place is actually almost becoming a destination, and so whether or not it's becoming a destination because lots of different types of cyclists use it, or because it's a being sort of designed as a place rather than a, um, as a superhighway, but actually it's, it's more welcoming to different types of cyclists, but it also manages to support um, cafes and other, and other kind of functions as well. It's something we think is quite interesting. So we've only just got going with our research, but our main goal as we move into the uh, next phase is to, to try and uh, develop some sort of guidance um, to help um, to help designers integrate cyclists into public space in a way that it doesn't bring them into conflict with pedestrians. Well, there are, there's lots of guidance out there already, and uh, Robin mentioned lots of it before, and then it's really useful um, TFL guidance, and, and we're not trying to redo that. But we're trying to look back, and it's funny because we've got some of the same slides, um, back at um, some of the... Um, some of the kind of um, proposals and um, studies and research that, was, that were done in the 1960s and 70s into um, design of the public realm um, um, in a way that, I suppose, um, helped designers and research to, to, to understand the experience of public space from the point of view of the pedestrian or, or the user, um, or the individual, using serial views or in, interviews, mental mapping, um, photographic images, sketches, text and maps to give a kind of an alternative to the, to the bird's eye mapping view of, of, um, of urban design. And we, we're going to try and develop a methodology for, um, for doing this with um, cycling. Um, so uh, this is an uh, uh, image of the city uh, by Lynch and Meyer in 1960, where it's very much about uh, city and legibility. And so we're interested in saying, well, actually, yeah, um, is there, is there a different way that cyclists recognise landmarks because of the speed they move through the city? Do they use landmarks to navigate? Is that something that's, um, that's relevant in the, in when you're thinking about designing uh, for uh, cyclists in public space? 
Uh, we're looking at um, the concise timescale by Gordon Cullen. Again, um, well, that study really looked at how um, the public realm helps guide us through um, public space, and so it does that change for um, for a cyclist. Um, do you, again, does, does speed change it, and does the, there's a potential conflict that you have with pedestrians, and for perhaps the number of people in public spaces, so kind of at rush hour, does that change how you experience um, all of these types of spaces? Um, an interesting um, but the hidden dimension, which is uh, the study of pro proxemics, um, and the idea of um, how, how close we need to be to other people in different uh, situations in the, in the public realm. Um, that's relevant for cyclists as well, because well, you know, if a cyclist is moving incredibly fast through a space, they have to be at a different distance from pedestrian, other cyclists and cars, um, than they are if they move slowly through a space. And so uh, understanding and trying to develop a way of, of, of measuring and mapping that is something we're exploring. Uh, a pattern language by Christopher Alexander. He actually looked at, um, at where cyclists should be in, in the public realm in, in 1977 and was interested in um, what the issues were around a separate system um, for a separate sort of set of networks for cyclists because um, you know, how do you deal with the fact that people are always going to be crossing these routes you know, it just adds another layer of complexity it's not like cyclists are going to be replacing roads they're going to be an extra layer of infrastructure over the top of that if we have a lot of segregated systems so how do you integrate that um, Jan Gell um, life between buildings, um, where that's interesting because it's about documenting how people behave in, in public spaces. And again, this is something we're starting to do using the GoPro footage to just see how, again, kind of playing with our characters, how different uh, these different characters behave in different types of public spaces. Because does a lycra clad warrior behave differently to someone with a, a, you know, they're shopping in their basket in the front of their bike? And are they really different um, characters? Um, and uh, finally, a view from the road um, is another really interesting um, document because uh, uh, it was documenting the experience of a city from, from behind the wheel and, and how uh, uh, American cities might develop and change and be designed to be experienced from the road. And actually, can we um, think of a way of uh, designing our cities partly to be experienced from behind, both from a pedestrian point of view, but also from, um, from behind... Uh, the, steer, you know, the, the handlebars of a bike and is that possible and is that something that will if we can map up what that experience is can we develop a method for, for design proposals through that, that method um, and so looking forward to the future I might be way ahead of my 20 minutes here um, uh, but final slide is um, so moving to the future we, I think we're interested in that in the work that was done in the 60s and 70s about uh, the design of public spaces, but actually the things that we, that we think are the new drivers for how, um, uh, to understand how movement is important in, in, in public space, we have to take on board the, the, the things that are changing in, in society at the moment. So technology is, it makes a huge impact on how we experience the city. If you have um, a, a, a mapping app on your phone or something attached to your, to your handlebars, that will change how you can navigate the city. Um, driverless cars, everyone mentions, but actually multimodal um, issues around kind of cycle parking and integration with um, uh, train stations is, is critically important. And then finally, I think the environment—you know—that's about uh, the mayor's kind of uh, new policies and is about creating better, healthier streets. And I think cycling has a part to play in that, and understanding how all that infrastructure can can be implemented along with 
greening of, of the street of streets and public spaces as well, and how, how that will help moderate speed and movement and the experience of public spaces is really critical. Thank you.